And so I'm in this next part of my ongoing sermon series, uh, What We Believe and Why. What We Believe and Why. And I've, I've written this because I want us to have a foundational predicate for everything that we stand for, not just as a church, but as Christians. And I think it's important. You can go back to the website right from the beginning and get all of the sermon notes on this. And so today, what we believe and why, the Bible. I want you to fall in love with the Bible. I want you to understand that it is the roadmap that God has given us to salvation and the roadmap to heaven. It is the only way God has spoken to humanity. And so you need to immerse yourself and to know it and to love it and to make it a part of your everyday life. Uh, And so the Bible is really one of the key foundation blocks upon which we stand as Christians. It's what our faith rests on, the very Bible. Now, historic Christianity uh, considers the Bible to be the word of God. We believe the Bible, every word in the Bible, is the word of God. And so this sermon, as I hope to deliver it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Uh, is to demonstrate to you that it is intellectually creditable to believe the Bible as God's actual word to man. And I hope you will come away with that conclusion. Now, unlike most other religious books, the Bible is uniquely connected to history. Uh, As a result, many of its central claims are verified by both archaeology and historical verification. Many archaeologists that work in the Middle East use the Bible and find that it is incredibly accurate. Uh, And so it's supported and corroborated by these historical claims and archaeological evidence. Now, also, the abundance and existence of ancient manuscripts far exceeds any other ancient literary work. Now, when we say ancient manuscripts, we believe if you look for manuscripts that go back within 100 or 200 years of the original writing, you can trust those manuscripts. Well, the Bible appeals greatly in that area to substantiate its claims. Uh, and And these claims are effectively supported by historical accuracy. Time and time again, people that use the Bible and archaeologists that use it will find that the Bible is absolutely uh, accurate. The Bible presents a realistic view of humanity, including the nature and predicaments and character flaws of what we face. And it offers a view that life is rational, Uh, and that life can be saved by relying on our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the biblical authors, you understand, were aware that they were speaking and subsequently writing the words of God. Look, if you would, at Exodus chapter 34. And there, the word says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words... I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. It's as if God is saying to Moses, be my secretary. Write it. I'm going to give it to you. Write it in every way. Look also at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. 
And here Paul says, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us, uh, taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. I want you to understand what they're saying here and how the Bible was written. Uh, God took the pen of man. He took the mind of man. Uh, And as he took the pen and mind of man, through the Holy Spirit, he directed the very language that the Bible would be written in. Yes, he allowed man to use his own mind uh, and his own experience, but effectively the tenor of what was written is all coming directly by God through the Spirit. It's an incredible process. There's no other book like this. Now, some of the apostles of Christ even placed their New Testament writing on a par with the Old Testament. Paul made this abundantly clear in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, where he says, All Scripture is God-breathed. In addition, the apostle Peter declares that, quote, no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's 2 Peter chapter 1. God spoke to men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What an incredible process you see here in this great gift that God has given you, the Bible. Now, an excellent uh, explanation for, for what we refer to here as divine inspiration is given by the theologian Louis Burkhoff, which I put up on the board. And there he said, the Holy Spirit illuminated their minds, aided their memory, prompted them to write, repressed the influence of sin on their writings, and guided them in the expression of their thoughts, even to the choice of the words. Isn't that amazing? The Holy Spirit wrote this. The Holy Spirit made them tape recorders. Have you ever wondered how some of these writings that took place 20, 30 years after the events are crystal clear in the way we hear the words of our Lord? Uh, It's because the Holy Spirit did it. It gave them the gift uh, of incredible memory. And so this is all inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's why you can rely on the Bible as the unmitigated word of God. Now, understanding this concept uh, leads to the doctrine of biblical inerrancy, meaning what? If it's in the Bible, if the Bible says it, it is without error. You can take it to the bank. Look at Psalm 18, verse 30. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. God's absolutely trustworthy nature uh, and moral integrity is on exhibit in every page of of the Bible. But it must be correctly understood and it must be properly interpreted in order to be free from error. Jesus himself taught that scripture came from the mouth of God. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. 
Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For I truly tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And what is he saying there? He's saying that by the end of time, every word in Scripture will be fulfilled. Now, we know there are over 300 prophecies about Christ. There are still some that have not yet been fulfilled. But Jesus is promising you there that every word, every dot will be fulfilled. He's lifting up the Bible. He's lifting up the Word of God. If Jesus says it, then you can rely on it. Now, a necessary part of this doctrine of understanding Scripture uh, in order to be responsibly and objectively interpreted relies on the uh, word of hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, in order to do this responsibly, as we read the Bible and interpret the Bible, we have to do a few things. First of all, we have to examine the grammar. We have to determine the type of literature that it is. Is it a poem or is it a prose? Uh, We have to investigate the cultural and historical setting. Where was it written? Who was it written about? What is the message? And then we have to study both the immediate and the wider context of the writing. What is the context? What is the, what is the sense that the writer and God wants you to understand when you read the passage? All of this is important as you come to terms and understand the scripture. Accurate biblical interpretation involves allowing scripture to interpret scripture. That's what we do. We allow scripture to interpret scripture. A passage must be analyzed in light of other passages on the same thing. Clearer and more uh, clear uh, passages of the Bible uh, define earlier obscure ones. For example, the earlier Old Testament is often explained in light of the New Testament. Uh, And so this becomes important. Always Look at context when, these wor- when the Bible is considered. Now, Christ, you see, considered the entire Old Testament as coming directly from the mouth of God. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now notice, I don't know if you ever thought about that before, Jesus said it is written. It is written that man shall not live on bread alone. Well, did you ever wonder, well, where was that written? How would Jesus have used that passage? Well, take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, written 1,400 years before Christ would be born. And look what that passage says. He humbled you causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You think Jesus didn't know the Bible? All right? If you have any indication of Jesus understanding the Bible and citing the Bible and citing it with approval, Uh, And being accurate, there is a fantastic example of that. Look also, if you would, what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, 
Verse 1. What advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. Now, let me emphasize the importance of this passage. As you understand, even when we talk about how the Jews failed to honor Christ, yet they carried the word of God for several thousand years. Uh, and, And he makes that a point. They had been entrusted with the very first words of God. And, you know, it's amazing when you see anti-Semitism being rampant now. We, as Christians, have a responsibility to stand up for our Jewish brothers because they are linked with us. You understand that? They are linked with us, and I believe God will someday save that nation, save those people as they will come to understand that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And here you see Paul acknowledging their responsibility with the word. And so the New Testament canon of 27 books was all written in Greek. That's how it was written. The apostles recognized early on that their writings were inspired by the Holy Spirit and considered them on a par with the Old Testament. Uh, In the very first centuries of the Christian era, there were numerous other alleged gospels. This you'll see in the first couple hundred years. Uh, These Gospels were being circulated. They included the Gospel of Mary, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Judas, Peter, and the Gospel of Philip, amongst others. But they were never considered on a par with the 27 books of the New Testament. Why? Because the doctrine was not the doctrine of what those apostles taught. These writings could not be tied to the original apostles or their associates in authorship. Rather, they emerged long after uh, the apostolic era, and their doctrine was condemned by the apostle. These writings were excluded from the New Testament canon because they could not be historically and doctrinally connected to Jesus' apostles. So if you wonder about that, that's the reason. Accordingly, the New Testament canon was never demarcated as this is what we're going to rely on, by any arbitrary church council. I want you to understand that. Uh, If you look at the last church council, the Synod of Hippo, 393 AD, it lists the 27 books of the New Testament. But it's not that they're saying we support this. They're acknowledging that this is the ongoing existential historical fact. It did not confer any new authority on those writings. It simply recorded what was previously being used and considered. And so the Bible, you see, the Bible conveys all that the church and the individual believer could ever need to experience a redemptive relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ and a God-honoring life. Uh, The Apostle Paul explicitly told his associate Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that Scripture is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You read the Bible, you will come to terms with salvation. You read the Bible, you will come to terms with Jesus Christ. You read the Bible, you will come to terms with God the Father. Because of the supreme adequacy, a Christian life is not required to believe anything that's not in the Bible. 
And I want to emphasize this to you. You're not supposed to practice or have any theological beliefs on anything that's not in the Bible. That's why this ministry and this church is predicated on being a gospel and Bible preaching church. If it's not in the Bible, you can disregard it. And let's understand that. Uh, And that's clearly a part of our teaching. When Jesus was tested by the Sadducees, and you understand they were sad, you see, (laughs) because they didn't believe in the resurrection, because they didn't believe in the immortality of the soul. And what did Jesus say to them? Well, in Matthew 22, verse 29, he said, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures, period. I love Jesus, don't you? He doesn't mince words. He doesn't go into an extended colloquy. No, you're wrong. You don't know the scriptures. Uh, When confronted with the devil's temptations when he was in the wilderness, he responded three times with the phrase, it is written. And that's what you need to know. You need to have the scripture and know how to use it when you come through those difficult times as well. Jesus based his ethical teaching upon the sacred text and deferred to its authority in his messianic ministry. His entire life and death and resurrection were all presupposed and set out a thousand years before in scripture. And he believed that the scripture must be fulfilled. And he did everything in his power to do this. Look at Matthew 26, verse 56. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And after saying that, the disciples deserted him and fled. And that also was in scripture, that he would be left alone. Now, can we consider the Bible reliable. Uh, You're here today. You have faith that it's reliable, but God wants you to to have your faith supported by historical accuracy. Let's look at the historical record. Let's do that. There are now more than 5,300 known original Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. And when we say original manuscripts, we're referring to manuscripts written within three or 400 years of the historical event, all right? Now, no other document of antiquity even begins to approach such numbers in attestation. In comparison, the Iliad by Homer is second with only 643 manuscripts. How about that? As contrasted to 5,300. And yet, historians uh, and English majors have no problem attesting to the accuracy of the Iliad. Look at the first complete text of Homer dates from the 13th century. Well, we have 5,300 that date back to within a couple hundred years of the event. The books of the New Testament were the earliest known manuscripts supporting the writing, all from the period of 250 to 300 years after Jesus lived. This is a very small interval of time when compared to other books of authority. Uh, And this is important. There is no body of ancient literature that that approaches this level of accuracy. 
an attestation. The New Testament is also leagues ahead of other manuscripts when you examine the numbers of reliable older copies. Plato's work contains only seven copies. Aristotle's work, 49 copies. Pliny's work, the great Roman historian, only seven copies. This is in contrast to the New Testament where there are over 5,300 original manuscripts. Copies, some dating only 24 years after the events that it speaks to. Now, we have no problem admitting that these other books are authentic and reliable, yet there are many people who will not accord the Bible the same level of authority. Well, not here. That's not going to happen. Now, there's also an internal, an internal level of, of evidence that you need to remember uh, as to the reliability of the Bible. Is the written record of the Bible credible? And to what extent? Well, the New Testament uh, accounts for the life and teaching of Jesus, and it was recorded by men who had either been eyewitnesses or took the testimony of eyewitnesses and did that within a few short years of the very life of Christ. Look at the opening paragraph in Luke chapter 1, verse 1. And many of us have never really thought about this, but I'd ask you to think about it. There it says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that were fulfilled among us. What does it mean? It means at the time that Luke wrote Luke, there are already many writings about the life of Jesus. He saw them. He perused them. He studied them. He went back and interviewed the eyewitnesses. He continues in verse 2, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Look, Luke is considered by many people to be one of the greatest historians in the history of the world. He went out and got eyewitness testimony. He went with the people that were with Jesus. And you know from Paul's writings that even in Acts, uh, some 10 or 15 years later, there were still over 500 people who were eyewitnesses to Christ uh, and eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Uh, Luke is telling us that there were others that wrote about Jesus, that he incorporated their writings in his writing. Look at 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, where Peter says that we were eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses of the accounts of Christ. Look at John 19, verse 35, where John again says they were eyewitnesses. See Luke 3, verse 1, referring to ruling leaders at the time uh, in depth that could easily be traced by historians. The point of all this is that when crowds were being charged about Jesus Christ, about what was necessary for salvation, they could have refuted what the apostles said if it were not true. And don't you think those refutations would have come down in writing? But no, no, you won't see a written word 
of any refutation uh, of those apostolic writings. They could not afford to be inaccurate. They could not afford it uh, because they didn't want Christ's words to be refuted. And so the the very uh, words of Christ began to be articulated within his lifetime uh, and, and those people who were alive at the very time of his life. These people could certainly confirm the accuracy of the accounts, and all that is contained in Scripture. Look, the clear ability to truthfulness in the Bible is closely related to the witnesses' time and geography to when it was given. Uh, the New Testament records the life of Christ and his teaching recorded by men who were alive at that time, uh, who were either eyewitnesses or spoke to eyewitnesses. The closeness of the recorded accounts uh, is an extremely effective way of measuring the reliability of what you're reading. You know, the historian has to eat with the eyewitnesses who are giving their accounts. And if it's false, the historian has to look in their eyes and see it. And I submit to you that when you read the Bible, that did not take place. On this point, the New Testament accounts of Jesus began to be circulated uh, during the very lifetimes of those alive at his life. These people could confirm or deny the accuracy of what was written. In advocating their case uh, for the gospel, the apostles had appealed, even when confronting their opponents, to common knowledge concerning Jesus. In every way, it's tested. And it comes up as proper. Look, the secular historian, Will Durant, well-known, well-regarded secular historian, who had spent his life analyzing records of antiquity, says the literary evidence indicates historical authenticity regarding the New Testament. We put this on the board, this quote, where he says, after two centuries of higher criticism, the outlines of the life, character, and teaching of Christ remain reasonably clear and constitute the most fascinating feature in the history of Western man. How about that? A secular historian. Perhaps no one, you see, speaks with more force or authority on the Bible than Jesus Christ. In John chapter 5, Jesus cites scripture in support of his claims that he was sent by God. Look at John chapter 5, verse 37. And the Father, and the Father who has sent me, has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them You have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. That's the key. The very testimony about the life and death and resurrection of Christ is on every page of the Bible. It is clear, absolutely clear, that the primary purpose of the Bible is to point humanity to Jesus Christ. Now, this becomes the subject of the Old Testament in two ways. First, uh, within its general themes, and second, by fulfilling specific prophecies. Well, the Bible diagnoses the spiritual uh, condition of the human heart. 
uh, and leads individual men and women to recognize they need a savior. Uh, this Old Testament theme is best summarized in David's Psalm of Repentance, Psalm 51. And look what it says there in that psalm. I love this psalm as David really repents to God over his sin with Bathsheba. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You see how the Bible gives you that, that psalm of repentance? And so when you come to these hard times and you need to repent and have reconciliation with God, you have the very words there of how to do it. Some of the greatest prophecies contained in the Bible are found in the Psalms. The second Psalm tells of Christ's eventual victory and rule uh, over the nations of this earth. Uh, this was a popular Psalm with the early Christians who used it in reference to Christ. Psalm 16 foretells the very resurrection itself. When you get home, take a look at it. In the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th Psalms, you'll find three separate portraits of the Lord Jesus Christ, the suffering Savior, the compassionate shepherd, and the king, the king. Perhaps the most poignant assertion about the Bible and Jesus is found on the road to Emmaus, and I love this passage because I traveled that road when I was in Israel. And in Luke 24, verse 25, you see this passage where Jesus will walk seven miles along a road uh, with two disciples who had forlorn, who felt that everything was over because their supposed Savior had died, and now their world is crushed. And so Jesus links all Scripture to history. Look what he says there. This is Luke 24, verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. This passage resonated with my heart during the summer as God really put on my heart to write the men's Bible study that will begin in January, and that's a Bible study that will focus for 12 weeks on Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus is in every book of the Old Testament. It was written to show Jesus. It was written to point the way to Jesus. We haven't studied this as a people, but we need to. There, there exists no document, no document from the ancient world witnessed by such an excellent set of textual and historical veracity and testimony, offering a superb array of historical data to confirm the fact this is God's word. No honest person, no honest person can ever dismiss a source of this kind. God never asked you to take anything on blind faith. The Bible was given to us by God. I rest my case. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you. Have you spoken to us? 
I thank you for the words that you've given us through the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Father, for the Bible that you've given us. And so, Father, I ask you that we will fall in love with the Bible, that we will surround ourselves with it, that it will be part of our everyday life, that we will read it and study it every day, that we will conform our living to what the Bible says, that we will give it to others, that we will talk about those verses to people that don't understand you, that we will deliver the gospel to people through the Bible. Father, I ask you to bless our people. Consider this word. Let it resonate in their heart uh, and continue to lift them up in every way as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.